Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 184. Royal Caribbean's main dining room is likely to be somewhere you visit almost every night of your cruise. It's hard to deny the fun experience of dining there, as well as the really tasty food you can enjoy. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner are served here, and this week, we're going to be taking a look at the main dining room experience, what it's like, and what to know before you sit down here for a great meal. Here we go. When you think about a Royal Caribbean cruise, there's many images and experiences that may come to mind. Certainly, spending time at the beach, enjoying cocktails, top-class entertainment, and also dining. And when you talk about dining on a Royal Caribbean ship, I think, by far, the quintessential aspect of dining, and quite honestly, a big part of the cruise experience overall, is the main dining room. The main dining room may have changed over the years, but it is still a big part of where you eat on a cruise. In fact, many, many guests, a vast majority, will probably eat in the main dining room all aboard their Royal Caribbean cruise. And this week, I wanted to dive into the main dining room, not just what it is, but also offer some strategies and a guide to what it's all about. Because after all, the main dining room offers meals included in your cruise fare. And you know what? There's a little bit of formality still left to it. It's not quite what it used to be. It's not quite what main dining rooms were on ships of the past. But each evening... And even throughout the day for breakfast and lunch as well, there can be an opportunity for you to have really great meals while you're on board your Royal Caribbean cruise. And and I think it's really important to talk about this because there's a lot of it that goes into it. Now, in on Royal Caribbean ships, you're going to have a choice of either traditional dining or my time dining. This is now true of all the ships in the fleet. Dynamic dining, you may have heard this this phrase, is no longer a thing anymore, so you don't have to worry about it. You've just got traditional and my time. Basically, how it works is traditional dining, there's two set times, right? It's either early or late, and it usually occurs early is usually 6, late is usually 8 o'clock, and basically, you have a set time every day you go to dinner, you have the same table, the same wait staff, and the same table mates each time at dinner. My time dining is different in that you go there and you have a range of times you can show up, anywhere between what, certain hours of the night and and enjoy dinner there, and you can make reservations in advance for certain times, or you can just show up and kind of wing it. It's almost like going to a restaurant at home, right? You either call ahead for a table reservation, or you just show up and see how long the wait is, if there's any, and you're seated. So you, you potentially could have different table mates, uh, different wait staffs, and different location each night of your cruise. Now, it's not always the case, but that is something to be considering. Now, the other thing is about, in terms of the main dining room, most ships have a main dining room. Some have a different theme to them, certainly the Oasis-class ships have a different look based on each deck of the main dining room. In fact, speaking of decks, basically the main dining room will be broken up into many different decks. On the smaller ships, the main dining room is comprised usually of two decks. On the larger ones, like Voyager Freedom and Oasis Class, you're talking about three-deck-high rooms with you know certain decks dedicated to traditional and other decks dedicated to my-time dining. But the experience is very similar. Once you're seated, it's, it's pretty much the same kind of thing in mind. The exception to all this is the Quantum-class ships. They have... A, a smaller dining rooms. They, of course, the, some history here. The the quantum class ships had a dynamic dining option, which doesn't exist anymore. But the idea was to get rid of a more f- formal main dining room and offer smaller restaurants. And so instead, of, imagine instead of having multiple decks, you just have multiple restaurants. If that makes any sense. There's different themes and decor, but the menus are all the same now. So. It's, it's pretty straightforward, and certainly when you're eating at any of these restaurants, you should understand that the menus don't change in the sense of if you're my time or traditional, but the menus do change every night of your cruise to offer you something a little bit different. And when you're seated here in the main dining room, uh, a couple things you want to keep in mind. Number one, 
Let's start at the beginning. If you're brand new to cruising, brand new to the main dining room, you can order more than one of anything. And you should, in fact. A lot of the serving sizes I've always found to be pretty small. And what that means is you can order more than one entree. You can order more than one appetizer. And I would recommend trying different things. It's all included. There are a couple of items that may actually have an additional charge. They'll say them on the on the side. It's like a, if you want to have a filet mignon steak from Chops or, or Lobster, you can order that. But most people order off the regular menu, and there's plenty in there. In terms of food, that's always a common question. Matt, what's the food like in the main dining room? I've always felt that the food in the main dining room is pretty good. Uh, there's a range to it, just like anywhere, right? I think most of the food will fall will fall in the category of acceptable to good all the way to very good, right? That's probably where most of the food exists, somewhere in that range. There are a couple items that I would say are probably really, really good, like exceptional almost, and maybe even one or two that are not so great, and you kind of want to skip over them. But the key is you can order more than one of anything, and I often will order two to three entrees, two to three appetizers, not because I'm gluttonous, although I kind of am from time to time, but because I like to sample different things, right? Maybe there's something on the menu. Maybe there is escargot, and you've always wanted to try it, or maybe no one ever wanted to try it, but you just think, ah, what what the heck, let me give it a shot. You can do that. And certainly that's something you want to keep in mind when you are considering a you know what to order there. And again, the serving sizes are smaller than you typically might get at a restaurant back on land. So there's really no reason not to. And you shouldn't feel bad. In fact, oftentimes you might find something that's really good and you really love, ask for a second one. You can do that. And that's so cool. And I really do love that aspect of it. And there have been some cases where, you know, me and my wife are enjoying something. We're like, wow, this is really good. And I'll ask the waiter, hey, can I get another one of these? And they're absolutely there to help you. And speaking of the wait staff, this is an important aspect that's worth mentioning. The staff wants to make your experience exceptional. Everything you want it to be. Don't hesitate to ask. If you've got dietary restrictions, if you have a special preference, if you like something, if you don't like something, please let them know. In addition, you should also let them know about pacing. This is a common area where people sometimes get a little tripped up. If the if you feel dinner's taking too long or it's too short, maybe you feel like you're being rushed through, let them know. Let them say, hey, look, I want to be here for a little bit longer or a little bit shorter. You know, let them they want to work with you and make you happy. So if you prefer a longer dinner than a shorter dinner or whatever, they can make it worthwhile. Now, in terms of dietary requests, your best thing you're going to want to do is let Royal Caribbean know ahead of time. And a lot of folks, especially a lot of listeners here, may have different dietary needs like food allergies or gluten-free or kosher or low-fat, low-sodium. Maybe you're vegetarian. Regardless of what the, the needs are, you can you should communicate this to Royal Caribbean and uh, Royal Caribbean does can accommodate those those things I mentioned earlier in terms of uh, food allergies, gluten free, low fat, low sodium, and all that. Um, in addition, vegetarian meals like Indian style vegetarian are available on all menus in the main dining room, and guests don't need to make special requests in in advance for that. But if you are looking for like maybe lactose free or soy milk or ensure uh, kosher meals, you should let Royal Caribbean know about those kinds of things, and you should do that at least forty five days prior to your sailing or ninety days prior to your sailing. For European or South American itineraries. And what you should, all you need to do is send an email to special underscore needs at rccl.com. Special underscore needs at rccl.com. Include your, in the email the guest names, booking number, ship name, and sale date. And again, you want to make these requests as soon as you can so that way they're well aware of it. It, does, it probably behooves you also, once you get on board on an embarkation day, to speak with the Head waiter, the, when you get on embarkation day, there will be a head waiter in the main dining room for a good part of the afternoon. Stop by and just, you know, reiterate, make sure they've got it all taken care of on there. And uh, that's something that you want to, you definitely want to make sure if you have a dietary need, you take care of it. And as an example, I do this actually every single time. I say, Matt, what, what dietary need do you have? I, I just have a preference. I enjoy Indian-style 
uh, food, not, it's not Indian, like as in India. Um, that's really that's something I really loved. And when I used to cruise with the Royal Caribbean in, in the beginning, there used to be always be some sort of a curry dish on the menu. Uh, and in the subsequent years, the menus have changed, and that's okay. But the curry dishes have not been included all that often on the menus. And so I just talked to the head waiter and said, hey, can I get every night a Indian curry dish in addition to whatever else is on the menu? And they're absolutely more than welcome to help me with that. And it, uh, my father, when we go on cruises, he likes having in the main dining room for breakfast, he likes having just an assortment of sliced vegetables that he can essentially uh, eat in addition to whatever else is offered. And again, speaking to the head waiter, they can make that happen. So ask and ask before your cruise. Those are two important, really, uh, things you want to consider. You can also, speaking of asking, you can change your table. Now, when you get on board your ship, on your pass card, if you're in traditional dining, you will have a table assigned to you. It'll be somewhere on your pass card. You'll see it over there. It probably says table number and then whatever the number is. If you're in my time dining, obviously your table number is dependent on when you show up and availability. That being said, though, in either situation, traditional or my time, you can change your, your table uh, number and where it's located based on availability. If you're stuck, if you're somewhere, if you, you want to be near the window or you want to be in the center or you know, you can ask for changing your table. Again, the head waiter is someone you want to talk to. There could be a lot of reasons. Maybe you just don't you want to be near them. Maybe it's, it's ambiance. You'll, you prefer a specific kind of view. Maybe there's a lot of foot traffic by where your table is. You're not enjoying that. Maybe the table mates you're sitting with are not to your liking. That can happen. It's worth mentioning, by the way, if you're, while we're talking about this. In traditional dining and my time also, you might be seated with other guests. It's not always the case. Uh, I would say in my experience, it's like 50-50. Sometimes I'm seated with other guests I don't know. Sometimes we end up sitting by ourselves. There really doesn't seem much rhyme or reason to it, but it can happen, and you know, maybe it's not to your liking. I've always enjoyed the people we've sat with. It's always interesting to have other people to talk to and talk about the cruise experience and just hear about life in general. I've enjoyed it, but if perhaps you prefer a different kind of it, it was like, eh, I'd rather sip it myself. I know that on our honeymoon, we we specifically requested a table for two because it was our honeymoon and we wanted to just spend time together and, you know, all the gushy stuff that newlyweds do. <laughs> we wanted to make that happen. So, um, again, you can change this at any time. You don't feel obliged that you have to do this before the cruise. You can do it before the cruise, actually, by sending an email to rcldining at rccl.com, rcldining, one word at rccl.com with your table request. You can say, hey, I'd like a two-top or I'd like to be at a table by the window. Again, your reservation and name would probably be helpful for them to figure out (laughs) how to accommodate you. But again, you can speak to the head waiter and change it all the time. So something to keep in mind. Uh, Also, another thing, also, uh, these are, I'm going to start rattling off some some tips here in terms of your improving the main dining room experience. You can bring wine on board. This is a tip that I often repeat in general. Guests can bring up to two bottles of wine with them onto their cruise. You have to bring it on embarkation day. Put it in your carry-on luggage, not your checked luggage. Otherwise, it'll be flat. Your luggage will be delayed, and you'll have to go get it later on. It's a pain in the butt. Don't do it. Bring in your carry-on luggage, up to two bottles of wine, and you can bring those bottles to the main dining room, and the waiter will be happy to open it and serve it to you without any corkage fee. No cost to you at all. And not only is this a great way to save money, but it also ensures you're drinking exactly what you like. That's really important, right? Because there is a wine menu. You can purchase that, that but maybe it's not what you're liking. Maybe you're uh, there's a particular brand you like, and it's hard to get. This is a good option for you. Uh, the so One other thing to keep in mind is that they can actually store it for you. So let's say you bring it there on day one. You and your companion drink half the bottle, and you've got half the bottle left. You can bring it back to your stateroom if you'd like, or they can store it for you and bring it back to you the next night. No problem at all. They'll just write down your stateroom number on the bottle, and it'll be waiting for you. In fact, you can go, let's say on night one, you're in the main dining room, so you drink your wine there. And then you're going to chop scroll the next night. 
they can, the Chops Grill staff can go and grab that bottle. There's a centralized location where they store these wines and bring it up there and vice versa. So it's pretty convenient. I love this feature because, you know, when I'm enjoying dinner on a cruise, I love having a good glass of wine. And this is a neat option uh, that, that is available to you. A couple other things you want to also keep in mind. We mentioned about ordering multiple entrees, but also let them know about, you know, any ways that you like the food. You know, if you like it a particular way, uh, certainly um, these are more like requests that aren't necessarily like dietary needs, just requests. Letting them know ahead of time is always important. In general, we found that, you know, 24-hour notice will ensure that the the chef's crew can take care of the request for you. Uh, but, it, you know, if there's an ingredient that you enjoy or you just want to play to something – they can definitely work with you, especially if they have ingredients on board. It's just a matter of obviously being able to prepare it for you. The other thing also you can do is bring back extras to your room. Sometimes you might feel like, you know what, you're in traditional dining. It's 6 o'clock, but you know what, you just were you were just on the on, on Labadee or you were in uh, Cozumel, wherever you were on shore, and you just ate a lot of food and you're not really hungry now. But you know you're going to be hungry later on and you know you don't want to have that. You can have them actually have the food wrapped up for you and, brought, and you can bring it back up to your room. Uh, just let your waiter know. If there's something you cannot finish or perhaps you want an extra for later, let them know. They will give you a, a, basically a, a, a plate with a cover on it. It looks a lot like with the same kind of plate and cover you get if you order room service. And uh, the waiter can help you get that, and you can bring it up to the room. Also, sometimes we've seen situations like this. Sometimes there's been a cruise where my wife wasn't feeling well, right, and she decided not to join us for the main dining room. And the waiter would say, you know, was there anything we can deliver to the room, you know, to make sure that she can have something for later. So, uh, you know, just like all the other tips – ask. There's nothing wrong with asking. They're happy to make it work for you, and that's really important. Also, you know, a lot of times when you talk about the main dining room, we're talking about dinner, but the main dining room is open for lunch and breakfast. It'll be open for breakfast pretty much every day of the cruise, and I love the main dining room breakfast because it's a little more formal. It can be as fast or as slow as you want. In general, when you're eating the main dining room, you can tell them, hey, I need to be in and out in this particular time, but what I like about the breakfast is that it's a little, it's 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 more relaxed. It's less like it's funny I'm using the word relax and and saying <laughs> comparing it to a buffet, which is essentially the definition of relax. But what I like about it is that it's you're seated, you're not you know you're not getting up and down all the time. It's a little bit easier with kids, I think. I know it's kind of again seems almost backwards, but the reason why I like it with kids is because then I don't have to we don't have to do this game of okay you sit here with the kids, I'm gonna go get the stuff, and then. When my wife goes up, the kids start crying because why is mommy leaving? You know, like, oh, I don't have to deal with any of that kind of stuff. And again, once again, the dining room staff is very, very accommodating for that. Now, the main dining room will be open for lunch on sea days, not port days, but on sea days, the main dining room is open for lunch. I love the lunch menu in the main dining room for uh, for the main reason is it's almost like a hidden menu. The items that are available for lunch are usually not seen for dinner. And Quite honestly, some of them are not even seen anywhere else on the ship. And I really love the variety of food that is, that is available over here. Plus, in addition to the great menu for lunch, you'll have something called the Tutti Salad, which essentially is a salad bar in the middle of the main dining room where you can go and have the salad created for you the way you want it. You want it chopped. You want it, you know, no mushrooms, lots of mushrooms. They basically make it for you, chop it for you fresh right in front of your face, and then here you go. Serve it to you and bring it back to your table. It's really nice. And it's it's not, they also have pasta stations and I've seen ice cream there. It's pretty cool. So I, I think in general, what I'm trying to tell you is don't overlook the main dining room for breakfast and lunch especially because there's some really great choices there to, to check out. And uh, it, and for breakfast and lunch, it's a first-come, first-serve style. So unlike dinner, there's no set times. You just basically have to show up within the, um, within the times that are available. There are, for breakfast and lunch, there are some basic dress codes, not like dinner. 
Dinner does have a dress code, and we'll talk about that in a second, but breakfast and lunch has just basically, you can't wear like a bathing suit or a tank top, but otherwise, you know, jeans are fine, and shorts are even fine for breakfast and lunch. It's just a matter of, you know, you have to be, can't be wearing stuff you'd be wearing up to the pool deck, if that makes any sense. Uh, Unless, of course, you dress nicely for the pool deck, and then you're more than welcome. Now, in terms of dress codes for dinner, boy, this is a question I get all the time, is, you know, can I wear blank for the main dining room where I'm going to be ostracized? The reality of the dining dress codes, there's a couple of realities. First of all, it's not nearly as formal as you think. Despite the name, in some cases, there is formal night. During your cruise, you'll have a, you'll have a variety of different uh, dress codes. The dress codes only apply to the main dining room. Nowhere else on the ship doesn't really matter what you wear elsewhere. But for the main dining room, you're going to have either casual nights or formal nights. And on longer cruises, you might even have a smart casual night. Ask me the difference between smart casual and casual. It's like... I don't really know the difference. <laughs> I always tell people smart casual is slightly nicer than casual, but that's like saying – I don't even know how to put that into words. Like instead of a polo shirt on casual, maybe you wear a long sleeve collared shirt. I, I really – I don't think anyone really has a good definition of it. But the thing the thing to understand, even on formal night, you say, whoa, I'm going to wear a tuxedo. You can, but you don't have to. For men, really all it is is you're wearing slacks and a collared shirt, and that will fly for formal night. Absolutely. Can you wear a jacket? Yes. Will other men be wearing jackets? Yes. Will other men be wearing tuxedos and kilts and and, and military dress clothes? Yes. Do you have to? No. There's, you're going to see a wide range, and it's really up to you. Personally, I like formal night. I like dressing up because, as I often say, other than formal nights on cruise ships, the only times we ever get to dress up anymore are for weddings and funerals. And those are not fun. I like to be able to get dressed up. It's great for... Family photos, all of our family photos, if you ever come to our house, all of our photos that you see around the house are, or at least have people in them, are from cruise ships because we get great photos with the children and us in them, and it's 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 fun to do. Granted, I mean, you know, I know there's a little more prep work involved, and I kind of get that. Maybe some of you have to get dressed up every day for work, but it's a little different on a cruise ship, and I enjoy it. But the thing to understand is you don't have to wear a tuxedo if you're a guy. You don't have to wear a suit. In fact, you can wear, like I said, a polo shirt and, you know pair of khakis and you pretty much nailed it uh, for women you know certainly uh you've you have a lot more flexibility in terms of you know almost any dress will fly for for that uh you know again pair of pants and and a, and a nice blouse and you're good there's it's really you just it, it's so hard to quantify because Royal caribbean uh, does not enforce a very standardized rule across the fleet and this is part of the problem is there isn't a hard and fast rule. There isn't a set list of the various things that you have to keep in mind when you're looking at all these options. And that's kind of why that level of ambiguity is the problem, so to speak, when you're talking about the dining room. But I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that there are dress codes. It's not nearly as bad as you think. And if you just wear something nice, uh, I often tell people what you wear to church is probably good enough for the main dining room. In fact, it's probably overdressed for the main dining room in many cases. But uh, it's fine. So – Think that in mind. What you'd wear to your grandma's house or church, you're probably good. Now, if you are doing my time dining, there. Are, first of all, I'll post in the show notes a link to a great blog post we have about what to know about my time dining. I would recommend, in general, you should try to make reservations for my time dining before you board. The reason is there can be lines. Not always the case, but there can be. And the lines will determine be dependent on basically two main factors. Number one, what time you're arriving. If you are... Arriving very early or very late, you won't have nearly as much of an issue with lines. Uh, but if you're arriving, you know, 6.30, prime time, yeah, you might have an issue there. Also, how big your group is. The larger your group, the more you really, really need reservations for my time dining. Uh, if you've got, you know, two to four people, you're probably fine. 
because they can stick you almost anywhere with that. But if you got a group of six, group of eight, group of ten or larger, make reservations before your cruise. This way you'll have optimal availability and you can plan around your schedule. You can look at the port schedule. So, oh, we're going to be in port until 7 o'clock this night. All right, so this night we're going to have dinner at 8. But the next day is a sea day and I'd like to have dinner at 6. You can uh, check that out. The peak dining times are 6.30 to 8 o'clock. And so you want to make reservations before you get on board to avoid waiting for a table. Because basically people who have reservations get priority. And once again, the larger the group, the more important making my time dining reservations are. So definitely some good stuff there. And I do, I'm also going to add one other thing, which of course is, I know some people when they hear, especially first time cruisers, they hear about the main dining room. They hear things like formula and they hear about all these things we're talking about. Like, oh, geez, I don't want to deal with all this. I will tell you something. Um, I, I do believe you need to enjoy the main dining room experience. Um, I think there is, you don't have to do it. Maybe it may not be something you want to do most nights, but I think it's something you want to definitely enjoy and embrace it really. Um, you know, the, the, the antics, if you will, of the main dining room will vary from ship to ship, but you know, instead of raising an eyebrow with these experiences, you know, let loose and just go for it. Remember you're on vacation and very likely you'll never see these people again. So, you know, if you're dining with strangers or twirling your napkins or jumping onto a conga line, <laughs> uh, you know, as as the kids used to say, YOLO, <laughs> and kind of embrace it. So, um, th- I think that's probably uh, the 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 things to keep in mind about the main dining room. I love it. I think it's a lot of fun. I think the main dining room is something that is as important to the cruise experience as hanging out by the pool, seeing the shows, and exploring the parts. I, I, I you know, I, I think that what Royal Caribbean has developed here with these dining room experiences is a lot of fun and it's a great way to really cap off your your evenings or at least start off your evenings maybe right that's where the fun begins and then you all you're off to the shows and to and to drinks later but it's a fun experience and i i, I hope if you're a first-time cruiser your takeaway from this is it's it's not limiting actually it's not a formalized you know pinkies up kind of experience it is about enjoying a nice dinner and it it's it's uh it's really all about having a great way to start off your evenings while on a Royal Caribbean ship. All right, it's time to answer your listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer your emails that you've sent to me about Royal Caribbean cruising in general. And of course, I want to hear from you as well. So as you're listening to this, maybe it's time to think about an idea, maybe something I talked about earlier in this episode. Maybe it's just a question you have about your upcoming cruise. Whatever's on your mind about Royal Caribbean, this is your opportunity to talk about it. And I encourage you to send me an email. My email is matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Com. Our first email is from Jen from Boston, Massachusetts. Writes, Dear Matt, I booked a four-night best of the British cruise on Explorer of the Seas out of Seattle, Washington to Victoria and Nanaimo. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. British Columbia in May 2017. We're planning on going on the cruise and then spending three to four days in Seattle. We've only ever been on Caribbean cruises and I've never been to this area. So this is a brand new experience for us. I'm trying to find some information on the sailing, but I'm coming up a little bit short. I was hoping you and your listeners might be able to give me some suggestions or recommendations for getting the most out of this cruise. Thanks for all you do. Wow, what an amazing itinerary. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I didn't even realize there was a short cruise that went out of Seattle that just went to essentially Canada. That was kind of cool. So, Victoria and Nainamo, and I'm pretty sure I'm not pronouncing that right, um, are some interesting ports for, uh, I'll start off with actually, uh, gosh, I really need to figure out how to pronounce Nainamo, I hope, whatever, you know what I'm talking about, in British Columbia. You know, it seems like a lot of folks, there's a lot of uh, great nature spots to check out. There, there's a great uh, harbor ferry 
that you can you can uh, you can do there. I've never been to the, either of these places, quite honestly. So I just did a little bit of uh, of research there. But um, they're, they're basically, you know, a lot of these are exploring the different uh, culture and history and, and natural history of of these places. For Victoria, I actually referenced a blog post that Fromers.com offered, which and here's their things to do in one day in Victoria. you got the Inner Harbor, Fisherman's Wharf, the Steamship Terminal Building, the Royal British Columbia Museum, Tea at the Empress, whale watching, and of course enjoying downtown. So there's quite a bit of, of options there. I would recommend, when I look at any port, I always look at, essentially, I'll, I'll do a basic thing, which first I'll do a Google search, right? Uh, best things to do in blank. So in this case, best things to do in uh, Victoria, right? And even put in a day or one day, because sometimes these uh, entries may be for folks that are spending a vacation over there, but you've only got a couple of hours. Certainly hitting the highlights of what's important to you. And and usually places like TripAdvisor are really good for this, Jen. So I hope this provided some uh, help. And if you have any suggestions on what to do here, some fun things you've done in the past, I encourage everyone to go to our show notes at royalcarbonblog.com and post in there your thoughts. Our next email is from Dan Olson, who writes, Hey, Matt, love the podcast. Helps with our Minnesota winters. Our family went on to a navigator this season in 2015 and loved it, and we became hooked. We are we did zip lining and a beach in Roatan. It was the best zip line we've seen on many platforms. We snorkeled in Belize and we saw lots of awesome fish and sharks, too, with a long boat ride to get there and took forever to get off the ship because of the tendering. Our kids are 13 and 16 at the time and did surf lessons at Cozumel with Nacho. Easy to find if you Google surf with Nacho and Cozumel. Uh, lots of seaweed due to a recent storm, but the kids got up and loved it. Navigator was great. My dad and daughter have a gluten-free allergy. We let our waiter know, and the head waiter uh, came by each night with uh, the next night's menu so they could order in advance. The chef could make any dish they asked for gluten-free, and they also made sure to take care of us while we were in the Windjamere when they asked for gluten-free pizza or pasta. It was one less thing to worry about. All the food was excellent, and the entertainment was incredible. My daughter also made a video of our cruise, and we had a lot of fun, so... Uh, we are going on Oasis of the Sea in March. I'm wondering about a good excursion in Jamaica. Thinking Dungeons River Falls or one of the waterfall areas in beach. Just let us know if you have any recommendations. Thanks for the podcast. Can't wait till we step on board in March. Dan, great question. Thank you for emailing me. I love Navigator of the Seas as well, Dan. And as you probably are well aware, we're actually going to be going on Navigator to the Seas next week. Man, that feels good to say. On the Royal Caribbean Blog group cruise, I will be live blogging it at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So for Dan and anyone interested in what Navigator is like these days, I will be posting a blog every day at royalcrippingblog.com, showcasing what we've done on our little adventure there. Now, in terms of a good excursion in Jamaica, Dunn's River Falls is a very popular option, and I'm not sure what you're looking for exactly, but another great option, something I absolutely love, is the Hilton Rose Hall All-Inclusive Resort. What's nice about it, Dan, is it's all-inclusive, it's a beautiful resort, and there's a lot to do. They have a beach, they have pools, they have a water park. It's really good for families, and since you've got kids that are a little bit older, you said in your email the kids were 13 and 16, I think they'd really enjoy that opportunity to go between playing in the surf, playing in the pool, playing in the water, but there's a lot of water slides and stuff like that. I think it'll be really up their alley if they're anything like most teenagers out there. So uh, that'd be my recommendation, Dan, and I have stayed there. I actually went there a couple years ago, and I have a review of it uh, on royalcrimmonblog.com, so I will aspire to add that to our show notes as well, Dan. Good email, my friend. Thank you so much for emailing me. Next up, we have an email from... Uh, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this name. Alona from Finland. Hi, Matt. Thanks for the great blog and podcast. I love visiting the site ahead of my cruises to make time before embarkation day pass faster. Yes, that's what it's all about. My next cruise is just 13 days away. Is in just 13 days on Anthem of the Seas. I can't wait. 
My first cruise was on Majesty in 2010, and since then I've been on Enchantment of the Seas on 2013 and Alert of the Seas last year. My question for you is about the increased drink prices that some cruisers have observed in the past couple weeks. My cruise is on Alert for the first time I purchased the drink package, and I found the drink package was a great value as I love my cocktails by the pool and wine with dinner. One of the best things about a drink package for me is not having to think about what I'm ordering as almost everything was included. Now I'm worried with some of the hikes and prices, I really want to start paying attention to what alcoholic beverages are included and which are not. Would you happen to know if the basic frozen drinks like pina coladas, mudslides, and frozen mojitos are still priced within the drink package range? From looking at the updated drink menus, it seems like mainly some of the fancier cocktails and wines have been priced outside the package, so I hope that most of the basic drinks fall within the package. Good news. Yes, you're, you're, you're safe. So let me give some backstory. Right around Christmas slash New Year's in 2016, we saw some posted menus, specifically at the pub on many Royal Caribbean ships, where the price, posted price of a drink exceeded what the drink package includes. For, for those who aren't aware, the drink packages are include drinks up to $12 or $13 per drink. Depends on the ship you're going on. The Oasis and Quantum Class ships... The drink package includes drinks up to $13, whereas other ships in the fleet's up to $12. And what we saw was like, whoa, now we're seeing drinks priced ahead of that, which means if the drink was $14, as an example, and you were on Navigator of the Seas, you'd be on the hook for $2 on top of, you know, $2 surcharge. Royal Caribbean will cover up to that $12 or $13 limit, and then everything else on top of it is on you. But your observation is pretty correct. Um, what happened was there are a couple of drinks, and quite honestly, there's not that many, and but they're on some menus, and we blogged about this at realcrimenblog.com. But the, we there are some drinks where it's above the, the threshold. That being said, we've talked to a number of people who've been on ship since that time, in the basically during the month of January. And while the menus haven't changed, meaning the prices haven't come back down, the good news is a vast majority of the drinks are still included. If you go up there and say, I'd like a mojito, I'd like a uh, pina colada, it's going to be included. Unless, the only reason you could ever possibly spend more is if you specifically request a top uh, top shelf liquor or you look you go to one of these places like the pub and you physically point to the menu and say I want one of these in that case I guess they can also make those drinks with with not top shelf liquor that's essentially what makes these drinks a little more expensive is they're using a top shelf liquor so maybe say you know instead of using this particular kind of rum can you use this kind of rum which will be included and they can work with you there so uh, it's. I think you'll be fine. I've certainly bought my drink package for my Navigator of the Seas group cruise, and I think, like you, I kind of felt the same way about why I enjoy the drink package. And I think that you're going to be fine, especially if you're going. If you're only interested in you know, pina coladas, mudslides, mojitos, you'll be fine. You'll be great. No problems at all. So, good email though, and I appreciate you sending it in. And we got time for some more emails. Let's go to our next one. It is from Vanya, Lady J on Periscope. Welcome, Vanya. Who says, I uh, hope you're having a great day, Matt. Was wondering if you give me some advice. My husband and I will be celebrating our, celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary in August 2018, and we want to do a family group cruise. I have some questions. Number one, should we book through the group department, or should we book each cabin on their own? I'm going to give you a different answer, Vanya. If you have, you have to have at least eight cabins booked in your to be considered a group. Anything less is just a lot of people. <laughs> um, so... If, you, if you're going to hit that number easily, then I would actually suggest you don't do it on your own. You go through a travel agent. Travel agent can take care of all that for you. You'll still get all the credit for being the group leader, and they can help you with all that process, Vanya. And the reason why you want to do that is you do not, emphasis on do not, want to be the person who is harping on your family members to pay up for final payment and answering questions. Essentially, you'll become a travel agent, which you don't want to do. Let someone else do that because, again, a good travel agent is paid by Royal Caribbean, not by you. So there's no extra cost to anybody involved. It's just Royal Caribbean is paying, paying them a commission on it, and it makes your life so much easier. 
Um, and you also add here, I have a lot of first-time cruisers who would be booking, and I'd like for them to get the perks that Dell and I usually get. When I say perks, I mean onboard credit was the promotion being offered. Do the cruise lines offer the same promotions to people who book through the group department? In general, yes. Uh, when you're booking through groups, there could be some slight exceptions, but all the promotions that are available, like, you know, a WoW sale or a BOGO deal, yes, absolutely, those are all combinable. It's very rare that something is not combinable with that. But again, a travel agent Vanya is going to be what you want to work with. I'm just telling you this from experience. I've done this in the past. Just, you know, families. It's so much easier. Do yourself a favor. Also, if anyone wants to know, if we book individually, could we later link all the cabins in order to have group dinners or in order to have a private event on board? Yes. In order, if let's say you have, maybe there's only three or four cabins worth of people going, right? So a group is not going to be prudent or possible. Then yes, what you can do is link your reservations. Again, have your travel agent do it, or if you're doing it on your own, you can you manage this on. Basically, what you need is have everybody link each other. So, Vanya, what you'd have to do is you'd have to add every single person's reservation, and they would have to, in turn, add back every single person's reservation. Do you see now why, just in this perfect example, why a travel agent would make your life so much easier? <laughs> and your last question was, should you use a travel agent? Yeah, use a travel agent. I mean, I, I, look, I've used a travel agent for every single Royal Caribbean cruise I've booked, and I'm telling you right now, it is absolutely worth it. Whether it's your first cruise or you've been there, done that like me, it doesn't matter. It's your time that oftentimes is what we're what will save you. Uh, and and time is money, and, there, and in some cases you are saving money by using a travel agent. So again, a good travel agent is definitely a good idea. And of course, full disclosure, we do have a sponsor here at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. They're MEI Travel. They do a great job. I've used them every single time for my cruises. I would highly recommend them, but they are a sponsor, so I'm gonna make sure that's very very crystal clear. But Vanya, I hope you have a great time, and you know nothing wrong with uh, bringing some family. It's a great idea. I think you're gonna have an awesome time celebrating your 10 year wedding anniversary. Then you mentioned I think mine is coming up. Also in 2018. Wow, Vanya, thank for the heads up. And now I actually will remember. <laughs> Next up, we've got time for one more email. One more. All right. It is from Jordan. Who writes, I'm a relatively newcomer to your site and listen to your Instagram live stream. It was great and informative, but I had another question. We're stopping in Grand Cayman for our trip. And I was wondering if we, there are any excursions or places you think we have to see. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. First of all, Jordan, thank you for checking us out here, and I appreciate the email. Um, Grand Cayman is uh, is a fabulous island. You will, uh, when your ship gets there, you're actually going to tender to the island, which means that your ship will dock slightly off the coast, but it's a very close little tender ride. Basically, you board these little boats, they take you over to the, to the, the shoreline. It's a very short ride. It's very easy to get to. Once you're there, there's a number of things you can do in Grand Cayman. Certainly, they're very popular options. Uh, Seven Mile Beach, something you're going to hear a lot of. Seven Mile Beach is a beautiful beach. It's actually not seven miles long. It's a whole other story. Go look it up on Wikipedia. Why? But uh, it's a very nice beach. And there is no one Seven Mile Beach. It's, it's a large beach that's made up with a lot of different spaces on board. What I mean by that is you'll have hotels on one part of the uh, on the beach and little restaurants and what I would recommend doing, if you want to go to the beach, if you want to have a beach day, my recommendation is don't book anything in advance. Just get off the ship, uh, get into Grand Cayman, pick up a taxi cab, and tell the taxi driver, hey, I'm looking for a beach that I want a cheap beach. I want someone to be able to sit down on the sand on my beach towel and relax and not pay a lot. They can bring you there. Or you say, I want some place that has a restaurant. Or I want some place that is going to offer umbrellas and beach chairs. They can bring you to some great spots for you and help you out there. There are some other great fun things to do in Grand Cayman. There's a place called Hell. It's, it's a tourist trap. Basically, it's in the middle of the island, and essentially, it's this place where you can go and tell people, friends and family, that you went to hell. <laughs> and that's the whole appeal of it. You can go buy stuff like, you can go to hell in Grand Cayman, you know what I mean? So, it's it's basically, you know, a quick stop. There's also a turtle farm, which is very popular, where you can go and see a lot of baby turtles and whole baby turtles and 
so forth, so you can do that kind of thing. Also, a lot of, obviously, some some water-related activities, uh, scuba diving, snorkeling. There's a lot to choose from, but I think probably Seven Mile Beach is one of the most popular options there. So, Jordan, I hope that answered your question, and I think you're going to find... Uh, Certainly what's available in Grand Cayman, uh, very appealing. It is a kind of an expensive island in the sense of, like, in Cozumel, as an example. When you get them in Cozumel, you can do a lot of different things. It's not very expensive. Whereas in Grand Cayman, you're going to find prices a little bit higher than Cozumel, as an example. But it is a fun place to go, and I think if nothing else, Seven Mile Beach is something where you cannot go wrong in, so... Jordan, thank you for the email. Thank you to everybody for these wonderful emails. Love doing this. And, of course, let's do this again next week. And I want to hear from you. If you have a question, a comment, something on your mind about Royal Caribbean, let's talk about it right here on the podcast. Send me an email. Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hodgeberg, and we'll talk again soon.